This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. What's it like when one of your friends on death row is led away to be executed? You have a prepaid call from William A. Nogueira. An inmate at the California State Prison, San Quentin. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. I had to be a different complete guy. Which is the guy who walked the walkways of St. Quentin's death row and without a gang, without a, a group of people around, it was just me. Soon after you went into to be on death row, and you didn't really understand the prison workout system so much, but then he said, we're going to do 75 sets of each. To me, that seems extreme, so I'm wondering if there's a danger of overtraining, wearing yourself out, so that you're... <laughs> no, no, that's actually funny. That, no, and it's funny, and, I, and I'll tell you why. And I, and I, <laughs> that's a good one, Matt. No, I'll tell you why. Look. Hello out there, I'm Matt Ralston. And I'm William Nogueira. And this is our show. It's called Death Row Diaries. And Bill, I guess right off the bat, why is this show called Death Row Diaries? Well, the obvious reason is because I'm co-hosting this show from Death Row at St. Quentin Prison. And it's a, it, it's a brand new type of show. You know, we're not going to be uh, speculating on people's cases. We're actually going to be talking about people's cases, facts. And I'm going to bring in, I guess, the rear of the show because I'm obviously here with these guys. So I get to observe them every single day. It's not a 15-minute interview with them or a half-an-hour interview like most law enforcement have with serial killers. I'm actually in the same building with them, and I've been watching them for 35 years. Yeah, and you really believe that through your... You're, you're sort of an observer of people, and that through your observations, you really have a certain knowledge and perspective that that really no one else has. Yeah, absolutely. There is a, you can't put the hat on of a killer in your law enforcement officer. And then for the next eight hours, you're tracking killers. And then you take that hat off and you go home and be a father and, you know, a husband. It, it doesn't work that way. You have to live the situation because most serial killers, most killers, when they're speaking to law enforcement, they're looking for an angle. They're trying to fool the person. What I bring to the table is I get to observe these guys, watch them, talk to them in some cases, where they can't hide. They're not trying to be anybody else. They're being exactly who they are, and I watch them. It's, it's what I do. I mean, I'm an observer. I'm a watcher, and my life depends on it every single day. Uh, so I've become very acutely keen to everything everyone does. I know their habits. Um, I know they're, well, for lack of a better term, they're M.O. And that's what the show is about. We're going to be bringing in information that no one's ever heard before from the mouth of the killers themselves, as well as my observations and dealing with them for the past 35 to 40 years that I've been incarcerated. Yeah, you're forced to 
being close quarters with these guys. You go outside on the yard, you see how they interact with other prisoners and with the prison staff. Um, can you talk a little bit about the different kinds of guys that you're on death row with? Sure. So there are different type of yards here. There is a normal yard like I go to, and you have usually convicts, uh, guys who rob and kill, hit men, mafia members, gang affiliated guys, guys who are the apex predators of the prison community. Then there are other people in other yards, like the protective custody yards where serial killers go to. These are yards designed to protect the serial killer from the regular population on death row. Death row convicts, it's an unwritten rule, but they are to kill every serial killer they can get their hands on. Because serial killers, in their own words, I mean the convicts, of course, if they, they give a bad name to criminals. And I know it's crazy as it may sound and that the public may frown at this, but this is this prison culture. There is a hierarchy of what a convict is as opposed to an inmate opposed to a prisoner. Convicts are, you know, they have a code of ethics. They, uh, they have rules. They, they apply to every situational moral code. Serial killers don't have those codes. They kill for sexual gratification. They kill for whatever makes them tick. And that offends most convicts that have a code of ethics that you run by. And it's a twisted moral code or a code of ethics. It's very twisted. But it does align with a particular mindset. And in that mindset is you don't kill children. You don't rape, whether men, women, or, or children. And if you do, then you have a target on your back. So the yards are made up of those type of demographics, normal yards and protective custody yards, which which are where the serial killers are. Now, there is an exception. There is what's called the ADA yard, the American Disabilities Act yard. And serial killers that are already up in age, 70, 80, 90 years old, are on those yards or on that particular yard. I know about this yard because the warden of San Quentin picked me of all the people in the state of California to work that yard primarily to care for these serial killers. Now, of course, I am a convict, but after 35, 40 years in prison, you know, I don't allow those prison politics or rules to guide my temperament or my way of acting. The warden gave me a job, the warden trusted me and gave me a responsibility, and I was gonna uphold that responsibility, and that is to interact with serial killers and not harm them anyway, because it's not my job to punish them. So what I'm going to bring to this show is an insider's view of not only serial killers, but the prison system as no one else knows it. You're not a typical prisoner, I think that's safe to say, and you don't like to brag about yourself, but you're a published author, and you're an artist, um, and your, your work sells for thousands of dollars a piece. Um, could you briefly walk through like when you're observing these guys and, and just what a what you're doing, what a typical kind of day is for you on death row? Sure. Well, it really depends on the day. Because of COVID-19, there have been changes in the program. But normally what I do is I wake up about 4.30 in the morning. You know, if I'm going to go out that day, which I normally do if there is yard, uh, I prepare myself. That's mentally, physically and emotionally to go out to a yard where there are 750 
plus killers all around you. And that is by basically putting a mask on. Um, it is a part of who I am, but it's a mask that it, it, it gains, over the years, it's gained a certain amount of respect. And um, so I go out to the yard, I, I do my workouts, I exercise, but the whole time I'm watching people. And it's so important to do this because in this environment, um, you know, just think back, you know, thousands of years when we were the hunted, when there were saber-toothed tigers or, you know, in Africa there was lions chasing us. We had a primal instinct that we can tell when tension was in the air. I've redeveloped those skills or that primal instinct. So when I go out there, I can feel tension. If you walk through those gates of a death row yard, you know if something's going to happen. And then it's all about bringing out or finding out what is going to happen and who is involved so you're not near the area or at least you know if they're coming after you, you have a head start to prepare yourself. And what that means is understanding people's habits and what they do. A good example is if you walk in the yard and you know there's tension out there, you start looking at individuals. Are they doing what they're supposed to be doing? If it was gazelles, are they you know, grazing? If it's buffalo, are they grazing in certain spots? And that's how I look at other convicts. Are they doing what they're supposed to be doing? Are they working out? Are they preparing their coffee? Are they playing cards? And if I know everybody's habits, I like to say that I'm intimate with everybody on that yard. And what I mean by that is I'm intimate with their habits and what they do. So if they break protocols, if they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing, I know something's going on with that particular group. There are different signs that people give away the way they they're trying too hard to look normal. They don't make coffee. That's a huge giveaway. Most convicts drink coffee. And if a particular convict is not making his coffee or he doesn't have a cup of coffee in his hand, and he normally does, that's a sign. So I look closer. So all these things play part in what I do every single day. With serial killers, I watch them for the bigger signs, which is how they're acting why they do what they do. I try and interview them without them knowing I'm interviewing them and try and get them. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. And try and get them to talk to me. As you mentioned, I'm a published author and I have several books on submissions, one of them being about a particular serial killer and what he did throughout his, his entire career, which spanned nearly 60 years. So there's a lot of motivation for me to know this. And there's also the other part. I'd like to give the public something that they can use to save their lives. I mean, look, it comes down to being in a place that you don't know and knowing your environment, or at least knowing your surroundings. So someone doesn't do what these guys normally do, which is to sneak up on people, take them, and then that's the end of the ballgame. Yeah, so people that are listening who may not live in California, as probably most of our listeners may not know that there's a moratorium on the on the death penalty in California, and no one has been executed in quite some time. So right now, you have zero chance of being executed. Um, yet again, you are on death row. Is it something that you think about, and do you have, for example, or have you been given an execution date? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yes, the answer to the question is yes. In 1994, I received an execution day of December 16th. Um, it was when I left the state level and I was... Well, what that means is the, the state of California, the Attorney General's office, won that round and my case was affirmed, meaning my conviction was affirmed. Therefore, the state of California moves for an execution date. Um, I obviously filed a motion, a motion to go to the federal system and the execution date was taken off. But I did have an execution date, this is several decades ago, and since then, um, nothing like that's happened. Uh, but you're right. California is under a moratorium. The, the governor of California, Gavin Newsom, has placed that moratorium in place, so no one is going to be executed. But since I got on death row, there is a higher chance of us being murdered on the yard by another convict than being executed by the state of California. Since 1967, there's only been 13 executions in California, which is uh, one of the I guess chapters or some of the things that we're going to get into is all the men that were executed on death row. We're going to we're going to go into their case. We're going to talk about them as individuals, what I know about them personally, and that's part of what this program is going to be about: talking about everything that we know, both you and I, and giving it to the public so they can, you know, consume it or look at it, digest it, and understand where these guys are coming from. Now. Um, the first couple episodes we'll be talking about are uh, really about another book that I wrote, and it's called San Quentin Penitentiary Horror. And it is based on true events. It's a nonfiction book about uh, paranormal events that are happening here on death row, specifically on uh, men that are dying on death row mysteriously, and supernatural or paranormal events caused the death. I walked around the yard for several years interviewing over 100 inmates, convicts, as well as guards. And I got, I got first-hand knowledge of the event that took place. And these guys tell terrifying tales of these events. The book has uh, nine different deaths in it, and I tell a story about that particular event and what happened first-hand from the person who saw it take place. So who are some of the more notorious, I, I don't want to use the word interesting, but who are some of the notable people that you've run into behind bars? Oh, yeah, well, obviously the, the audience will recognize this person, Richard, the Night Stalker Ramirez. He lived on my tier for several decades before he met his demise. Um, William, the freeway killer, Bonnie. Uh, there's Lawrence Bitteker, uh, you know, Randy, Randy, the uh, dating game, Akala. He's the uh, serial, another serial killer. Uh, California has probably the most serial killers in the nation. And if they're on death row, I've run across them. So, yeah, uh, basically you have more or less unlimited phone access you call me. I'm not in prison. If the listener didn't get that yet, I've eluded prison just barely. And, um, <laughs> they do charge for the phone calls, but it's, uh, surprisingly inexpensive. And 
So yeah, you call in 15 minute blocks. So that's why sometimes you'll hear the automated system. It likes to interrupt occasionally. And um, that's just what we're working with. And uh, yeah, you, we were introduced actually, I was working on a podcast called Murder on Ice. And that's the story of a murder that happened in Alaska where I grew up. And through that project, I was introduced to you by a guy named Greg from an organization called Initiate Justice, um, because you talk to various prison organizations. You're trying to get out of prison. And, yeah, so that's how we met. Besides what we talked about earlier, like, when did it occur to you that you wanted to do a podcast? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, uh, being completely candid here, you know, I was thinking of different ways to um, to use the information that I have. Okay, if if I'm to some way or somehow die at some point, and the information that I had in my head goes to waste, then I basically accomplished nothing. I just thought that this is a platform that uh, people in general, the general public, even law enforcement, can use this as a tool. And if I can help in any way I can, then I'm willing to do that. And that's how the idea was basically born. I kind of talked to a few people, as you mentioned, Greg from Initiate Justice and a couple other places. And they they didn't know what to do. They I kind of pitched it to a couple of people. And then Greg said, you got to call Matt Ralston. I think he's the guy you need. So I called you up and, you know, we sat down. I think we talked for like 10 minutes. And within that 10-minute period, we already had the name Death Row Diaries. And I think you said, call me back in a week. And within that week, you had the the website almost ready. And, and you moved quickly. I thought, okay, this is the right guy. And everything is history behind that. We, we basically uh, been prepared. And and it took us not more than a couple of weeks to get ready. And here we are in the first uh, introductory um, episode. So, yeah. Yeah. And as we're talking right now, we have 20 episodes up. And we'll be releasing them every Sunday. And uh, in the first couple, we talk about Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker. And then we get into, we eventually catalog everyone that's been executed on death row in recent years. And that's uh, people like William Bonin, um, Stanley Tookie Williams, and... You know, and, and then we uh, we just go forward talking about all the guys that uh, that you know and the you know everyone else kind of didn't have access to. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Uh, we start <laughs> we get into some kind of paranormal, tricky uh, you know murky waters of of paranormal activity and weird stuff that goes on on death row. And, uh, and then we just, we just keep going, you know, there's, there's no shortage of weirdos that you've, that you've encountered. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then I, I encourage the listeners to call in or to email Matt and, um, ask whatever questions you want of me or of Matt. I mean, like you say, he's never been in prison before, but Hey, certain people feel that he should be. And uh, maybe he has some information for you you'd like. But whatever you guys would like, uh, the history of San Quentin, 
any particular predators you want to talk about, if you want to talk about the paranormal ghost stories, uh, there are three cemeteries here. The prison is the oldest prison in the state of California. There's been over 500 men executed here and over 10,000 killings and murders here. As I said, there's three cemeteries on the prison grounds. One of the cemeteries is right here below East Block where I am sitting. So there's a lot of creepy stuff goes on here. And um, as Matt mentions, the, some of the stories we're talking about do cross over into the paranormal and supernatural. And there's very good evidence to uh, prove that, um, that I, well, the truth of the matter is the story of uh, King Teen with the prison he's actually ma- named after uh, was a shaman and a, a, a Miwok warrior who died, who's, all his warriors died here. And that's how this book takes off about the portal he opened. And it really gets really dicey. Um, there was influences in the prison. We have wardens murdering people. You guys are going to love this. I mean, this is stuff you're never going to get anywhere else. It's all fact-based. We're not making this stuff up. If you guys want, you can look it up. And, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to this show. I mean, I'm excited about it. I hope the, 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 the listeners enjoy it. And, yeah, I'm ready to get going, man. Yeah, and the best way to get a hold of us is through Instagram or Facebook. Our handle is the name of the show, Death Row Diaries. Uh, I read the messages. Bill sees the messages. So uh, feel free to reach out You know, if you have any questions or anything that you want us to talk about. And I guess with that, we'll just let you get into the, the first few episodes. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to it. And um, as Matt just mentioned, um, everything that's sent to, this, to the, the Instagram or to the website, Matt reads them, he reads them to me, and I know what's going on, so we get the questions. And usually they're on, on the air while we're doing this. So please feel free, and we encourage you to interact with us. And let's get this party started, right, guys? 